Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today I'm talking to Scarlett O'Connor. Scarlett suffered with different eating disorders for 25 years after being overweight as a child and teenager. Her eating disorder ruined so many aspects of her life and she is passionate about sharing her story in the hope of inspiring what is possible in recovery to others. Scarlett is particularly aware of the huge embarrassment and shame that she felt when struggling with bulimia and how this can make it so difficult for people to access treatment. Scarlett has experience of being in many different body weights and sizes at different points over the years. She claims that she lost years of her life due to eating disorders and finally she reached a complete rock bottom where her physical and mental health was suffering extremely. Scarlett began healing and is now fully recovered. She now supports others who suffer with eating disorders and she's a qualified therapist using emotional freedom technique amongst other modalities and has worked with hundreds of clients with these issues. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Scarlett today to hear about her personal story and how she was able to change and fully recover. I'm also interested in understanding about her approach in supporting clients and delving further into the emotional freedom technique. Let's get to the conversation. Hi Scarlett, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, hi Harriet, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. So Scarlett, can I get you first just to introduce yourself to the listeners please? Yes, most definitely. So yeah, I'm a therapist who has moved now into specialising solely just in eating disorders. I work mainly with bulimic or binge purge anorexic clients now. Yeah, you know, sure. Okay. And Scarlett, I know you've had your own journey, haven't you, of sort of healing from eating disorders. Would you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I had 25 years of my own lived experience. And obviously, lived experience is only ever your own experience. But it does give me a little bit of an insight, potentially, into how my clients feel. But my journey started very, very young. I was about nine around nine and I developed binge eating disorder so I learned from a very very young age that food was an effective way of silencing thoughts and feelings within my body. I had an undiagnosed health condition and dyslexia and ADHD going on and a difficult family life so I think all of those things mixed in together I unfortunately found comfort in food and I learned none of my thoughts, feelings and emotions from a young age, unfortunately, yeah. Oh, obviously you had to have been eating disorder from like really young age of nine. So did that, did you go on to develop other eating disorders after that? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the amount of food that I was eating, there was no control in the household. So I was able to access food as and when that affected my weight, which of course had an effect on my self-esteem and my peer interaction. And I actually left school at 13 due to bullying and other factors. But what happened was eventually I got to the point, you know, in my sort of late teenage years that I wanted to make changes. And unfortunately, I went on a diet hate the word diet but I yeah I developed anorexia in my late teens and what happened was what happens to a lot of people as my weight reduced society's attitude towards me changed 
you know, I went from being somebody who was ignored or, or laughed at or ridiculed to somebody who became socially acceptable. And there was a lot of, oh, my goodness, look at your wonderful, you know, figure and shape that you have underneath all of that, all of those layers. And that alongside the psychological and physiological changes that were happening to me whilst I was starving myself, you know, obviously my brain chemistry was changing and all of that outside influence, I became anorexic and it wasn't something that I was willing to let go of. Most definitely not. Mm, okay. And then I know as I understand from like your story, reading your story, that you then suffered from bulimia for quite a long period as well. Is that true? That is, yeah. I mean, I had a short dance with anorexia. I was actually not very fond of diagnostic criteria. I find it quite restrictive, yeah. especially when I'm working now. But my diagnosis, I will use it to describe how it was for me, but I was diagnosed as a binge purge anorexic. So I think I got myself to the point physiologically where starvation had taken over, as it does with pretty much everybody. You know, our bodies are programmed to eat when we starve. And I tipped myself in over that balance. And I think one day I just overate and the feelings that came with it were too much for me and I purged. And that's where my journey with bulimia began. Obviously, there are different ways of, you know, everybody has different ways of purging and things. It's a very individual thing. But for me, it was making myself sick. And that that went on until I was 38 when I went into recovery. But I was very, very low weight. So I had the sort of anorexic psychology, but the bulimic behaviours on top. And again, I really don't like diagnostic criteria, but to explain it, you know, as it was for me. Yeah. So that was where I was from 19 to 38. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. And it got a long time, isn't it, to be sort of trapped in that horrible prison? Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what really helped you, Scarlett, to heal? You know, like, did you hit a sort of rock bottom point at the age of 38? Or what kind of like was a turning point for you? Well, I mean, you know, initially, I didn't want to find that turning point, because, you know, obviously, it was it was an answer for me at the start to the problems that I was having. But when I did reach the point, it affected my career, obviously, my social life, it had a massive impact on everything, you know, every area of my life. And I did try and access you know, different types of treatment and nothing really helped, unfortunately. I even got my psychology degree myself while I was poorly, but I did actually have to reach a rock bottom point. Yeah, I I was admitted and I had to make a decision. Basically, my body mentally and physically, I reached a place where I couldn't carry on anymore and I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay alive or not. Mm. It got that bad with me. Yeah. It was literally mm. the bottom, yeah. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah, well, gosh, well, I'm sure that was, like, incredibly difficult, wasn't it? Because I'm sure even in the depths of it, you know, it'd been your sort of life raft, your coping strategy, hadn't it? And I'm sure, you know, mm. you were really quite torn and conflicted about change. And, you know, it's really scary, isn't it, letting go of an eating disorder? Most definitely, because, you know, after that many years, it becomes your identity, And as anybody who knows has ever has an eating disorder, has any understanding about eating disorders will know, you have this constant mind chatter, this constant voice, if you like, that is forever with you. It's very, very difficult to separate yourself from the eating disorder, from that voice, from that identity. And when it's been with you for such a long time, 
it feels like you are your eating disorder, which of course you're not. And I think that was one of the actual first points of recovery for me was that realization, you know, I had to separate myself from my eating disorder. I, I got to a point where I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, actually, you know, I am not anorexia or bulimia or you know I am not these things I am scarlet and I have a mental health condition and I have an addiction and that was that first point of understanding for me separating myself from my eating disorder which is you know it sounds easy but it was incredibly difficult to do because it was so embedded in my identity you know after such a long time of being that way. Yeah I think it's a great point you raised there because I think for so many people yeah, if you live with it a long time, it does become your identity, doesn't it? And so, like, yeah. you're going to be that terrified of thinking, who am I going to be without this? Or, like you say, your eating disorder, that voice had almost become your voice and actually starting to separate the two, like, incredibly challenging and also scary. I found that within traditional treatment that I access and within the clients that I work with now, there wasn't ever a recognition of the fact that, I had a mental health disorder, but I also had an addiction. And once I started to understand that and realise that actually it wasn't something that I could just make conscious choices about, I had to actually look at the fact that my brain chemistry had been massively changed. You know, once I started separating myself from the disorder and actually looking at what these different things were, I started to look into the fact that, you know, my neurotransmitters in my brain had been massively affected by this addiction. You know, the messages in my brain that were governing what I did every day were being dominated by this addiction. And I started to understand that, you know, that realisation. I don't want to go into all the <laughs> science of it all, but it was huge mm -hmm. for me. You know, I'd always just been told, you know, you've got anorexia, bulimia. But once I started to look into what they actually were and separating myself from it and starting to understand how my brain had been affected, that's when I was able to start taking myself into recovery. I had to start to sort of rewire my brain. And it's very, very easy for people to make suggestions with words and say, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. But until you actually understand that your brain chemistry is working to a different narrative, it's very, very difficult to make changes. Does that make sense? Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. What were some of the tools and strategies that you used to start to rewire your brain? It takes a lot of practice and repetition, doesn't it, to sort of do this? But like, what are some of the things that you actually sort of put into practice and, you know, over time really made a big difference? I mean, obviously, you know, it was a complex process. There was a lot of stuff going on and it's mm. the same now when I work with people every day. There was a lot to look at, you know. At the start, I couldn't even bear to have the feeling of food in my stomach. You know, I had such rigid black and white controlled thinking, you know, everything about my life was controlled and I had to and what I had to do was look at the structures of my behavior I had to look at my day-to-day -day ins and outs of how I was maintaining my eating disorder the things that I was doing how I was enabling it you know it was a very very complex pathway that I had to go down and sort of break everything down into little pieces but initially I had to learn how to eat I had to very very slowly reintroduce food and that was a very very slow process it was literally I used to time myself 
I used to sort of eat a little bit and say, just can we do five minutes? I used to actually talk to my voice, if you like, to my eating disorder, which must have come across as being rather crazy. But I used to negotiate with it and try and find the grey. And sometimes I do that now with clients in practice. We negotiate, we try and get beyond the black and white and find that little grey path. Can I just sit for five minutes? Can I have this bit of food and see how it feels in five minutes and then 10 minutes, which was incredibly slow, but it worked over time. It was a very slow process and it was complicated and it was breaking down each area, behaviour, the actual food itself, my day-to-day actions, and I had to look at enabling. And enabling is a massive part of eating disorder recovery. Looking, I do this a lot with clients now, it's looking at what your actual structures are of your disorder. How is it carrying on? What's happening every day? Because people kind of look past that. They know that they're suffering. They know that they need to recover. But it's very, very easy to not to jump too far too quickly and say, I want to get here, I want to be well. So I kind of took it back and broke it down into parts. Mm, sure. Yeah, and no, I think mm. it's so helpful, isn't it, just to break it down into those baby steps. And like you're saying as well, it's, it's very complex, isn't it? There's so many different like layers to explore, aren't there, in recovery? Most definitely. And, you know, people are sort of told, well, yeah, you know, your eating disorder served a purpose at the beginning. And, you know, obviously everybody's eating disorder starts for different. There's always different root causes and they do serve different purposes. But eating disorders are fluid. You know, they change. We can't not eat. So they change over time, the same as our feelings change, our behavior patterns change. So, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, what purpose did it serve in the beginning and what purpose is it serving now? But when you actually try and address that, you know, you have to go further into it and it leaves that to one side and say, okay, yes, it does serve a purpose, but let me just have a look at what I'm doing right now, day to day, dismantle, destructure, whatever word you want to use that. And then we find that the purpose changes. It's complicated, it's such a complicated thing to fit into a small box, you know, but it is achievable for everybody. But it's just looking at it from every angle as a whole structure. Mm. And it sounds like your experience, Scarlett, or some of the more conventional treatment wasn't so helpful. And what do you think was particularly helpful? Is there anything that sort of stands out that was, you know, that really helped you that was perhaps different from the more conventional treatment? And I'm sure you've mentioned some of these things already, but is there anything in addition to what you've already talked about? Most definitely. I mean, I found one of the worst things about conventional treatment was the shame element. There's already a massive you know, amount of shame and isolation within eating disorders, but having to go to office after office, to clinician after clinician, and write down, you know, how much I ate and what I ate and when I ate it and how I purged it and when I purged it, I found that really unhelpful. And that is something that I do not use at all in my recovery methods now, my work with clients, and I didn't in my own recovery. I moved away from there you know keeping journals or working to food plans or setting you know goals with food 
I sort of made at the start, I made a baseline deal with myself. I had to get some sort of balance so that I wouldn't tip over into hunger and I wouldn't tip over into binging. So I had to sort of negotiate again to have a little chat with my eating disorder. We had to find the gray. We had to find just enough nutritional intake so that we could do the work that we needed to do on the behavior. And so I found that helpful. And that didn't look conventional. I wasn't able to get up each day and say, right, I'm going to have my breakfast or I'm going to have my lunch at a certain time. I had to kind of muddle through. Obviously, I had to make sure that I had the right amount of intake that I didn't tip either way, because otherwise, you know, you're back into the cycles, aren't you? I found that really, really useful. The fact that I was able to just negotiate and get myself onto a sort of level ground where I could address the other issues whilst not worrying too much about the food I think at the start I used a lot of milky drinks I found things that were that I was able to tolerate texture wise or things that felt okay within my body that still gave me enough nutrition for my mind and you know physiologically and mentally for me to be able to address the behavioral changes that I needed to address without putting too much stress and too much concentration on the actual food intake and I find that really really helpful with clients now obviously balance you have to get that flat line you have to not tip either way but I think the conventional three meals two snacks it's just not achievable when you're going from a place of anorexia or a severe eating disorder to be thrown into a food plan you know it's just not achievable so I find it very very helpful to find the gray there again and to get a little balance going so that I can work on the other areas. If you enjoy this podcast, you might wish to join my bite-sized eating disorder therapy membership. This is a place to get access to additional podcast content, short videos, and longer educational videos all about eating disorder recovery. You'll gain insights into the psychology of eating disorders and learn skills and strategies to support you on your journey. It's not a substitute for professional therapy, but a fantastic tool to support you along the way. Do check out the link in the show notes, only £5 a month. Hope to see you there. And in terms of like dealing with purging side of things as well, because I think that, you know, that can be incredibly challenging to stop that behaviour, can't it, when you're down that rabbit hole. What did you find that's particularly helped you or in terms of how you support your clients now to reduce purging behaviours? (laughs) <laughs> to be brutally honest, what I had to do was I had to make it as difficult as I possibly could for myself. I had to look at my enabling structures. So initially, I was thrown into a place where I was so unwell that I physically couldn't carry on. I had an absolute breakdown period where I wasn't able to purge just simply due to the physical space that I was in. But what I actually did from there is I started to have a look around me, and this is what I do with clients now, and I was enabling myself time to binge. I was using my husband around the children. I was using timing. You know, I was creating routines where it was giving me time to binge and purge. So I removed that. I took that away. I made it so that I couldn't do that, which is quite brutal. It doesn't work with everybody. That's what I did personally. But then again, I timed myself out again. I sat with it. I tried to stick with the feelings I tried to, because when you remove any sort of eating disorder behavior, you know, underneath it, 
there is a whole myriad of feelings and reactions and there's so much stuff that's been going on for be it a year or 20 years that you've been masking or numbing and when you're not able to act out or purge or you know those things come up and they come up quickly and learning to deal with that is tough like you say you know so I had again I had like a timing system where I would slowly think oh gosh you know I can't purge and now I'm feeling this feeling and I'm just going to sit with it for a little while and just see if I can sit for five minutes or ten minutes and see how that feels mm-hmm. yeah no, it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. and Scarlett in terms of how you work today is it right are you an emotional freedom coach is that right or emotional freedom I've technique in, I don't use that as much now and I have trained in a lot of different modalities but now I use my own recovery method which I've kind of written to a modular program because I found that it was the only method that worked for me. And I was, I don't like to go into too much detail, but, you know, I'd lost all the enamel on my teeth. You know, I was extremely low weight. It was not in a very good place at all. And it was the only method that worked for me. So, you know, over the, I've 10 years recovered now and I am confident enough to say that I am fully recovered. And what I've done is, well, I've put my recovery program into a modular program and that's what I use now. That's what I specialise with. Yeah. Sure. And it sounds like you're probably pulling together like lots of different things that have been helpful yeah. for you. Most of oh. there's a lot in there, neuroplasticity, there's a lot going on, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in there. But yeah, yeah, it works. Mm. So yeah, so could you tell us just a little bit more about your programme, you know, some of the different areas that you cover of sort of over those modules? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about quite a lot of it already, you know, it's breaking down. I like to work in the now, you know, I don't find the endless talking therapies and obviously root causes need to be validated, they need to be understood. But I find that returning back to the past again and again and again and trying to correct something that's already happened is not necessarily helpful to what's happening in the now. So I tend to work very much with structures that are happening in the now because an eating disorder like I said earlier it's fluid it's ever-changing you know the original purpose that is served doesn't stay the same you know things change over time so I do work very very much in the now and I look individually at what's happening in the person's life you know what's going on how is this showing up each day what's it serving for you and how does it look and how is it enabled you know what's going on each day because when you address the actual behavior itself it has changes on everything else but addressing the addictive side of it addressing what's going on each day is the way to recover because if you keep going backwards you're not going to deal with what's happening today and what about the sort of body image piece of things? So I know that's often incredibly challenging, isn't it? And I think often, I don't know if you find this, but I sometimes think it kind of lags behind recovery, you know, the other recovery aspects sometimes. It's very tricky, isn't it, in the culture we live in, et cetera. So what are your sort of thoughts about that body image piece? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a great advocate that you can learn self-love. I think... As people recover, as I recovered, and as I've seen so, so many people recover in practice, and I work with both men and women, I think that very, very slowly, as recovery happens, body image, self-image, self-esteem, self-love, if you like, 
it starts to grow because when you're constantly, when you've got an eating disorder, like I said before, you're numbing your feelings, you're numbing your emotions, your identity is skewed. I mean, me personally, I remember at the start of recovery thinking, I don't actually know who I am. I don't know who I am aside from my eating disorder. And part of going through recovery, when I got through the difficult starting points of having to learn to eat and to timing out my you know my purging behaviors and things like that when I actually started to get to know myself underneath the eating disorder and I was able to feel my feelings instead of numbing them that's when I started to learn about who I was when I learned these things about myself like I laugh a lot I never did before you know I'm loud I'm raucous I'm quite feisty I'm fiery and I was never any of those things before and these are the things that I learned about myself and slowly and surely I sort of fell in love with me me behind my eating disorder and my body image changed alongside that. I don't mm-hmm. think that you can effectively, you know, read quotes or read books or learn how to love yourself. I think it's part of a process. And I see this in my clients. It's part of a process of recovery, you know, relearning, not relearning, but your own identity aside from your eating disorder, who you are and what you're about, those beautiful elements and nuances of your personality that are numbed and covered in the layers of the disorder, they emerge and, you know, and you find out so much about yourself and that's when the self-love and the body image comes alongside that, you know, does that make sense? It's like we, none of us are perfect. And I don't think mm. really, I mean, when you're in the grips of a disorder, you know, potentially I didn't actually look outside of my disorder. I was so consumed with my eating disorder that I wasn't really bothered about how other people looked. I was more obsessed with keeping myself perfect or what I deemed to be, you know, controlled and small and, you know. So within recovery, mm. as those layers slowly ebbed away, I found myself underneath and that's when I fell in love with myself and, and the image and the esteem came along with it. And I see that in so many clients. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's all about, isn't it, coming back to yourself, finding yourself, and then it's like the body image side of things. Because I think the body image side of things, when you don't like yourself, you just mm. put put all that negativity, don't you, onto your body. But as you start to fall in love with yourself and come to recognize your strengths and the things that are really unique about you and find your voice yeah the body image starts to at least starts to neutralize a bit as well doesn't it? it's part of that whole wider process yeah I mean a real self-esteem and you know body image issues they tend to write themselves when someone is and you say like don't like themselves when they like themselves and they fall in love with themselves those elements of the personality in the self tend to slowly write themselves, you know, because you can have body image problems or issues aside from eating disorders and people very often don't like themselves and that's work that they need to do to fall back in love and understand themselves, etc. Do you see what I mean? It just sort of comes alongside it. It's part of the journey and it's a beautiful journey, recovery. And the achievement, when somebody goes from as I did after 25 years I mean I've had a guy with 40 years and watching him go into recovery the sense of achievement and the sense of triumph is so 
strengthening you know that sense of self becomes so strong because you think you know what I'm doing this and I'm changing and I'm knowing who I am and I'm feeling my feelings and sometimes it's not all doom and gloom some of those feelings are joy and laughter that have been numbed underneath the disorder you know all of those things when they start to change that's when the self-image the self-love the body image becomes more regulated and more natural you know and people fall in love with themselves and what about eating disorders in men like do you have many male clients you work with yeah I do yeah I do I worked with male clients before I specialized so I probably have carried that on I do work with a lot of men and it's extremely difficult eating disorders are perceived unfortunately by society as feminine issues and the fact that she wanted to lose weight is a massive insult to me and anybody else who suffered from an eating disorder isn't it you know it's not she just Mm. wanted to change dress size or yes it can just you know it can be about food and eating but it's seen as a feminine illness it's seen as a woman's problem so it's extremely difficult you know, with the shame aspect with men and the masculinity side that a lot of men, it's not my terminology, will come and say, I don't feel like a man. I feel demasculinized, you know. It's very, very difficult for male sufferers. But the pathway to recovery is the same, you know. But getting beyond the first parts of shame, even I mean, I've had have had male clients that it's taken long for just to even get to the understanding that, yeah. I have an eating disorder, you know, because they're so, so battered down by the shame. Mm. And do you find sort of with men presenting for support, like, have they come sometimes more through a kind of fitness route or is it really variable in terms of like, you know, that sort of initial presentation? It's variable. It's often, unfortunately, it's often it's wives, girlfriends, mums, partners that will for you know, I say force, but push men into recovery because again they're hidden behind this shame this wall of shame you know it's so hard for them to come out and say yes I have an eating disorder and it's hard for anybody but it's a lot more difficult for men most definitely Mm. and what are your thoughts Scarlett on sort of prevention of eating disorders and you know I know it's such a massive question (laughs) But like, do you have any kind of real sort of passionate thoughts, I guess, in terms of like where you think we can really make a bit of difference, you know, a more grassroots level? Yeah, I mean, there is always the diet culture and things and social media and all of those kind of things. But personally, I think, you know, the people who do get eating disorders, the core beliefs that are laid down in people come very, very early on in life. It's more about parenting and about the way people are brought up. You know, we're all exposed to the same things in society and, you know, social media. We all see the same things, but we don't all get eating disorders, do we? It's it's about the core beliefs that people have. It's about their early understanding of who they are, their sense of identity. I think it's laid down very, very young. Potentially, we could help in schools with self-esteem. And I think there are some, I don't work with children, but I think there are some people out there doing that now, you know, helping people to understand themselves and who they are and how their feelings and their thoughts connect to their body. I think that's a fantastic way, potentially, of safeguarding people because it definitely is laid down at a young age. You know, the core beliefs that we hold about ourselves are definitely the reasons that some of us get eating disorders and some of us don't. Mm. 
So Scarlett, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, you know, maybe book a session with you or, you know, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got my website, um, scarletoconnor.coach. I can give you the link to that. They can get in touch with me, Scarlett O'Connor, via LinkedIn or by Facebook. But I do like to do, I do an hour's phone call normally. It's normally about an hour. I don't just take, you know, take people in. Mm. It has to be the right fit for, you know, people. somebody has to be ready to be at that point where they want to come into recovery because if you're coming on my program you're getting better no I'm joking (laughs) you know people you've got to be in the right place and we've got to be the right fit so yeah I normally do you know quite a deep analysis a phone call and if people don't work with me after that phone call I will most definitely signpost them in the right direction you will not leave without some guidance definitely not I'm very passionate about my work you know it's very heart driven after what I've been through yeah it's a choice that I've made to do this work there's a lot more money in the other therapy that I was doing before I do this out of love it's a very heartfelt job it's a passion for me Mm, yeah well it makes a lot of sense doesn't it I guess yeah your pain has absolutely become your purpose hasn't it (laughs) you know Uh, yeah I have Uh. personal issues with eating disorders I'm coming for them no I'm joking but (laughs) (laughs) it's a heart-centered thing that I do yeah yeah for sure well I mean it definitely comes across you know I really hear that and you know I think it's really inspiring and you know I think I'm sure anyone working with you is going to absolutely feel that absolute kind of fierce sort of loyalty and kind of connection and yeah you know that really comes across I think in a really helpful way so you know really thank you for sharing (laughs) we have a lifelong group you don't ever get left afterwards you join the lifelong group of recovers people yeah yeah Got mm. a little community. oh and is that something like is that like an ongoing thing is it the sort of input into sort of on a regular basis yeah yes definitely once you're on my program yeah most definitely it's it's a lifelong you're like part of a lifelong group yeah mm. okay lovely okay well Scarlett thank you so much you know for coming on the podcast for sharing your story and for you know sharing a lot about sort of the way you work you know just really great to chat with you and yeah wish you all the best in all the work you're doing yeah thank you for having me it's been fabulous thank you so i hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as i did and do go and check out all of scarlett's info in the show notes if you're not following me already do seek me out on instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore and for further support with your relationship with food do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm